Please help me to preach this tonight. This is a really important message, not because I'm preaching it, but because of the content. So just out of the respect of the word of the Lord, please, as little moving around as possible, let's try to get really focused on this. Especially those that couldn't be here tonight, we're going to record this. And you need to make sure that you go back and watch this, listen to it or whatever, and get this information because the next while... I'm going to be teaching on the God of Blood Covenant, and you're going to need the information in this sermon for all the other sermons to make sense. So make sure that you have these notes, and keep this in your Bible. These are This is a sermon that you need these notes, and keep it in the Bible as a reference from now on, okay? Because this is something that you can refer back to many, many times, and it'll build your faith. So as we pray tonight and we get into the Word, just agree with me. Father, we thank you. I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit here. I thank you for an open heaven, your glory. I thank you even now for the Holy Spirit moving upon every one of us to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus to get locked in. And, Lord, I thank you. The Bible says that that we need eyes and ears of the Spirit. And so, Lord, I thank you for the Holy Spirit moving upon every one of us to help us to have eyes that can see, ears to hear, and good soil of hearts and minds and lives, Lord, to be so in tune with you to get everything out of this that we need to. And, Lord, we submit this word unto you tonight. And I thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit just breathing upon this. It's going to make sure the Holy Spirit's going to, the, the wind of the Spirit, carry this out among the nations. It'll get every we're supposed to accomplish everything it needs to and we pro- you stand we stand on the promise of God rather that the word will not return void but will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do and we know the birds of the air try to steal the seed so as a church we submit this unto God we resist the devil anything that would try to hinder this word in any way we bind it in Jesus name right now you will back off and go and Lord we thank you for it right now in Jesus name this will break through and get where it needs to in Jesus mighty name all right, so we're going to look at an introduction to the God of Blood Covenant, and I'm going to be dealing with a lot of important information now, because one of the things you're going to learn if you ever, if you were to go to Bible school, the one of the early things you'll learn is, is a word called eisegete, and what that means is, in exegete, what that means is, it's like the exegete is that you study the history around it, you understand the context it's written in, you understand Uh, the history involved, and you're able to actually get what the Word is saying, okay? Eisegete is where you read into it what you want it to say, or you try to take our American culture that we live in today in 2022, and you try to read that into something that was written thousands of years ago, okay? And it's not going to make sense. So for you to really understand the word of the Lord today, we're going to have to what's called exegete. We're going to have to go back and understand some things about the time it was written and the culture and what God was actually saying. So I'm going to be looking at the sermon series is called the God of Blood Covenant. But what you have to understand is, is that a covenant is something that we really don't have in American culture today. The closest thing that we would even have to something like a covenant would be a contract, and that's not a covenant. A contract is drawn up when you're going to buy a house or something. You have to sign the dotted lines, right? And then, you know, you make an agreement. That's not a covenant. But that's probably the closest thing that we could have to it. So I'm going to have to take you back in time because you're going to have to understand 
to understand these scriptures and understand the importance of this, the weight of it, you're going to have to understand the time in which it was written because it won't make sense to an American Western mind today unless you explain some things. So let me show you what I'm talking about. An ancient blood covenant. In Jeremiah 18:17, the prophet Jeremiah was living in a time when Israel was very backslidden and away from God. So Israel was living in sin over a long period of time, and they were not repenting. And so Jeremiah was the last prophet, probably the only real prophet alive at this time, that was rebuking them right before God's judgment came and they were sent into exile, okay? And listen to something Jeremiah says here. He says in Jeremiah 18, verse 17, Therefore, this says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty. Everyone to his brother and every man to his neighbor, I proclaim liberty to you, says the Lord, to the sword, to the pestilence, to the famine. I will make you a terror to all the kingdoms of the earth. This was God's judgment because they wouldn't turn from their sin. He said, I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant. In other words, I gave them my word and they disobeyed my word. Okay. So to them, he says, who have not performed the words of the covenant, which they have made before me. Uh, listen to this reference. When they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts. See, that's an interesting reference that today people wouldn't understand. Verse 19, the officials of Judah and the officials of Jerusalem, the court officers and the priests and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf, I will even give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those that seek their life and their dead bodies shall be food for the fowls of heaven to the beast of the earth. Why? Judgment. Why? Because they were not obeying God's word and they transgressed the covenant. And notice that this meant something to God. Okay, so let me explain covenant, and then I want to show you how God cut covenant with Abraham. So a covenant in ancient times was extremely serious. I'm not sure that today we can really understand how serious a covenant was. So here's what two parties would do. You, at these times back then especially, it, was, it could be very dangerous. You know, people lived out there. They had their families. And if somebody else come in in the middle of the night, it could slaughter their families and, and steal all their possessions. And, and so it was important if somebody could find another strong male figure that had a family, etc., and cut covenant with them. Because when you did that, that family, that group of people, which may have several armed men with swords, etc., they would die for you in your family and vice versa. So it was important in this time to have some allies that were totally committed to you. And so if two parties were going to cut covenant, what they would do is they would take an animal like a calf and they would cut the animal in half. They obviously kill the animal, cut it in half and separate the pieces. And they would walk maybe in a figure eight or walk between the parts, but there was bloody soil. And that's why the Bible always uses the reference to cut covenant because it always was the blood of covenant. The blood was shed. And these two men representing these groups of people would walk uh, on the bloody soil. And it was understood that if I don't uphold my end of the covenant, may the same thing done to this calf be done to me. That was understood. 
And so it was not something to take lightly. As a matter of fact, it was something that was the rest of your life. Once you cut covenant with somebody, uh, it, was, it was something that you lived the rest of your life and your family and your children, you were in a covenant with another group of people. So a lot of it, this is what would happen. As they stood in the bloody soil, they would exchange gifts. And it could be something of significance. If somebody was a shepherd or something, maybe they would give them their shepherd's staff. It was something important. And the other person would give them maybe a sword that was in their family. But they would exchange gifts of importance. And then to seal the covenant, they would take oaths. May it be done to me like this animal if I don't uphold this covenant, etc., etc. They would make oaths. And then they, after that, they would eat a meal together. And the meal was the sealing of the deal. And then from that point on, they were in a covenant. So if that person let's say that you and i entered a covenant with somebody and all of a sudden you know a year later there was a group of bandits that had come through and attacked his family and one of them fled and said your your blood covenant partner over here is in major trouble his family it his whole our whole family would suit up and would go to war and put our lives in danger to deliver them and we were willing to die for them to see them free you understand how solemn this was it was serious all right, and God is a God of blood covenant, and these ancient covenants is very important that we understand this because this is what God was referencing here. He was saying to Israel, here you are, you've entered into a blood covenant, you've made some kind of a covenant with me, and you're not keeping your end of the covenant. Did everybody catch what I just said? God took the covenant serious. Israel was not. Therefore, it brought judgment. See, today we live in a time where there was a time when I was growing up. I mean, we obviously didn't have covenants like this in America. But if somebody shook hands and gave you their word and they really meant it, then that, was, that kind of sealed the deal. I mean, it was something like a covenant. But we're living in a time when people are so loose about all of that. That's the whole reason why we had to have contracts written up in the first place was to bind people by law just to simply do what they agreed to do. You see what I'm saying? There was a time that people actually kept their word. And there was there's something about that that's so important. All right, so Genesis 15. Now you're going to understand what God was doing here. So God, remember, he called Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram's family was just a normal family. But God saw something in Abram. And he, and he appeared to him and he told Abram, he said, I want you to leave your father's house. And I want you to go to the land which I show you. And in that land, he said, I will make you a father of nations. And so Abram believed God. And the Bible said because he believed God, it accredited to him as righteousness. So Abram gathers up his family and he leaves the earth of Chaldees. He leaves his father's house and he becomes a sojourner. He lived in a foreign land which was dangerous. You understand? In the land of Canaan, there was a, there were seven nations there that had militaries. There was people that were bandits that would go in the night and raid families like this. It was a violent place. It was an evil place. And Abram basically brings his entire family there in faith, and they just simply lived in tents. They lived as nomads traveling through this land. And the Bible says he was looking for a maker and builder who, the city of God. 
And so he saw Jesus' day when he offered up, up his son Isaac later on, and he was looking for a heavenly city to come. But anyway, once Abram got into the land of Canaan and began to walk to and fro, how many knows everywhere the soles of your feet tread, God will give you. So God had him going through that land on purpose because he was giving him that land. And Abram, it was interesting the way he operated. You know, he would go to certain places and God would reveal himself to Abram in some kind of a revelation. And Abram would build an altar to God there and inscribe on that altar to the God of such and such. And, and it was like the name, the, the revelation that came to him in a form of a name, which I'm going to get to. And Abram would inscribe that on that altar. So later when somebody came through there, they would say, oh, somebody built an altar to the God of such and such. For example, Jehovah Jireh. There was a, there was a God, Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. Somebody built an altar here to the God who provides. Do you see? And so that's what Abram did throughout the land. He built altars, inscribed on it. He worshipped. He, he uh, would offer up animals for the sin of his family. It's powerful. And God was using him to spiritually prepare that land for his descendants to take it. But at some point in time, Abram was getting very old. And how many know sometimes God waits until things get to a point to where only God can do it so that he gets all the glory. It's kind of like when Jesus waited to go to Lazarus' house till Lazarus actually died, like that. So God waited for Abram to get old and his wife to get past the age of childbearing. And so it became impossible in the natural. And God appears to Abram. And listen to what he said. He said, uh, verse, chapter 15, verse 18, I encourage you to read Genesis 15 as a whole. But for the sake of time, I'm just reading part of it, starting with verse 8. And Abram said, Lord God, how may I know that I will possess this land? I've been wandering to and fro this land, building altars, worshiping you. But how am I to know that I'm actually going to possess this land? And I'm going to be a father of nations. In verse 9, so he said to him, God said to Abram, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then Abram brought all of these to him and cut them in two. What was Abram doing here? Cutting a covenant. And so he cut them in two and he laid a, peach, a piece of these on each side opposite each other. And he did not cut the birds in half. So you basically had four pieces on each side. And there was bloody soil there in the middle. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. The sun was going down and a deep sleep fell on Abram. How many have ever felt the glory come on you so heavy that it would just weigh you down? I can only imagine the glory that came into that place. And a terror and great darkness fell on him. And then God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will live as strangers in this land that is not theirs, and then they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. So that was obviously Egypt. But I will judge that nation that they serve, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. God told him this way before it happened, 400 years before. And as for you, you will go to your fathers in peace and will be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will return here. 
For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now look at this. When the sun went down, it was dark. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. God came down in that form and walked among the bloody soil with Abraham. Does everybody see how significant this is? And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, uh, all the way through the seven nations, etc. He said, I'm going to give you all of this land that right now belongs to other nations. I will give it to you. And God swore by himself. But God, can you imagine this for a moment? Try to appreciate this. Abram grew up his whole life knowing that when you cut an animal in two pieces like that, and two parties walked in the bloody soil and made oaths, he understood blood covenant. Can you really appreciate, can you and I really appreciate, that God Almighty cut covenant with Abram and came down in the form of this smoking pot and torch and walked in the bloody soil with Abram? Can we really appreciate that for a moment? And so Abram knew what was going on. He knew that God himself had initiated this and that God was cutting a solemn covenant with him with oaths that he swore that I will give your descendants this land. All right. Now in these ancient times, a lot of times if somebody cut covenant, it was very common that when you greeted one another, you would raise up a hand like this. In Israel you say shalom or whatever, peace, but... But there was a, a hand raised like this when you greeted somebody. There's, there's a significance in that in these very ancient cultures because if you cut covenant with somebody, what a lot of times these people would do, this was before the law of Moses, okay, so just keep that in mind, would be that they would take some kind of like a flint knife or something and they would kind of cut uh, something on their palm right here at the base of the palm. And then they would rub some of the soot that was there in that. And as it healed, it would form like a scar. And so when you went up to somebody you didn't know, and you were saying, peace unto you, we come in peace, and he was holding up his hand like that, you would see his hand and you would see a scar or maybe two. And you would realize, this guy is not alone. If I mess with him... There may be quite a few people come after me. You understand? So see, when covenant was cut, it was understood that my enemies become your enemies. Do you really appreciate this? Let me say this. That our enemies are now God's enemies. Think about that. That's why the Bible says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't try to retaliate. Don't try to get even. Just forgive people. Because the Lord said, I will avenge. It is mine to avenge. I will repay. All right, so it's interesting because in Isaiah 49, 15, there's this reference here that maybe we could appreciate this a little more deeply now. When God said through the prophet Isaiah, can a woman forget her nursing child? Of course not. And he said this, and have no compassion on the son of her womb. Even, and then he says this, even though a mother may forget her child, I will not forget you. And he said this, see, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. 
Why do you think that Jesus' scars on his hands have never healed completely? There's a scar there. And Jesus being God, you know as well as I do, that that could just disappear like that. He doesn't want the scar to disappear. Because every time he looks at his hand, he says, I'm in a blood covenant with my people. Even though a mother may forget her child, I will never forget them. I will never leave or forsake them. And, my, and their enemies are my enemies. And he says this. He goes, see, I've inscribed you on the palm of my hands, and your walls are continually before me. That means your safety is continually before me. Your safety is of my concern. So the interesting thing about this is I, as I was studying all this out, I've studied this for years because I needed to understand some of these principles. But God is a God of blood covenant, and he cut covenant with Abram. He changed his name to Abraham, and he gave him the covenant of circumcision, changed Sarai's name to Sarah, and Abraham means like the father of nations. And so God cut that covenant, and then we know that Isaac was born, etc., and God fulfilled his end of the covenant, always has, always will. And we know when God cuts covenant, he's going to be faithful to his end of the covenant. And so God didn't finish with Abraham in this covenant alone. He had made a promise back in the garden that there would be a Messiah that would come. And so through Abraham's progenity, eventually God brought Jesus, Yeshua the Messiah, to come. And Jesus dying on the cross is the ultimate covenant that was cut with God's people. Both Jew and Gentile in Christ, it's eternal. And even though Jesus has died for all, not everybody has accepted him. And not everybody is of blood covenant. But what you need to understand is, is this was the ultimate blood covenant. Covenant was cut at Calvary. And those that accept Christ as their Savior and are born again, you've got to realize this, you have entered into the most solemn blood covenant that has ever existed right there. And God has, has not only, listen, when you entered that covenant through Calvary, God has given, you remember there was a gift exchange? There's so many things I could say. I'm going to mention some of them here. But God has given us, as a gift exchange, he's given us his Holy Spirit as a seal. And the Holy Spirit is the one that enters into true believers to be born again. It is a seal until the day of redemption. Isn't that something? And not only that, but there's a covenant meal, which this will come up in later sermons. Do you remember how they walked on the bloody soil? There was a gift exchange. There was oaths that were taken. And then, what is there? At the end that they ate a meal... It's no accident that Jesus at Passover, he said, listen, I'm out of the Passover meal that we do every year, this is a Seder, there's four cups, the unleavened bread, but Jesus took that unleavened bread and he blessed it, and then he also took the, um, the fruit of the vine 
and he blessed it and he gave it you know what that covenant meal is right there that's the meal that kind of seals if you will it's the so when we accept christ as our savior and we're born again we have a meal that god has given us we can take it as often as we desire that is a meal of blood covenant does this make sense tonight all right so let me give you a few things because you need to let this get in your spirit and you need this to stay with you this was why i was trying to say earlier get the notes those that are listening to this you may hear it on podcast but if you go to sermon.net you can download the notes there you need these notes Fold them up like a bookmark, keep them in your Bible, and refer to them regularly. Maybe when you take the Lord's Supper on your own, you may do that daily like many do, and you go through these notes because you need to get this in your spirit. See, as you meditate on the Word of God, it goes from just being head knowledge down into heart knowledge in your spirit where faith is birthed. Because I think a lot of people have this mindset of like, they're real up and down about the things of God. They're in and out, up and down. They're all over the place. They're not stable. And they have a mindset that, you know, well, God has forsaken me. God has accepted me. God is, and they're back and forth, back and forth. And they don't understand blood covenant. So let me show you some things Jesus paid for on the cross. Number one, and these are in the notes, sins, transgressions, and iniquity, which I don't have time to explain all of this. But sin means to miss the mark. Transgress means rebellion. So you know you're doing wrong, you do it anyway. It's serious. Sin is washed away. Transgressions have to be blotted out. And iniquity. Iniquity is, is these iniquity drives in people are like besetting sins and struggles that they have in their life. But 1 Peter 2.24 says, Christ bore in his body all those things that we're dead to sin, alive unto righteousness. How many knows Jesus was pierced, what? For our transgressions to be blotted out, you see. And he was bruised for what? Our iniquity. So those besetting sins, those iniquitous patterns and struggles, things that you've struggled with maybe your whole life, by the bruising of Jesus on the cross, you can be set free from that and live a righteous life. So number one, the covenant was cut and Jesus paid for all of our sin and transgressions, all that iniquity to be cleansed and taken out of our lives. What does the Bible say? Behold the Lamb of God, what that takes away the sins of the world. The blood of animals covered it for a time. But when Jesus came, his blood literally cleanses it, washes it completely away. Okay. The second thing Jesus paid for on the cross was deliverance from satanic oppression. Galatians 3:13 through 14 cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree Christ became a curse for us delivering us from all the curses are in the law so without belaboring this point forever uh, if you look at all the curses are in the law which I may take more time with here in a moment there were blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience but Jesus took that on the cross that every curse every work of Satan every oppression everything the devil has ever had in your life went on him on the cross so you can be set free from all of that and it says listen to what it's saying here in galatians 3 13 
It says you have been, it's been paid for you to be delivered from the curse of the law and what? Move into the blessings given to Abraham, who was blessed in all things. So there is a separation from the devil's kingdom and a moving into the blessings of Abraham. So what you got to understand is once we accept Christ at Calvary, that's a covenant that was cut. But I'll try to make this as simple as I can. That also goes back to the covenant that was cut with Abraham. That's why the Bible says over and over that Jew and Gentile, either one in Christ, you become of the seed of Abraham. And the oath and blessings of Abraham are your inheritance. So in other words, once you accept Christ as your Savior and you're born again, you, figuratively speaking, have walked in that bloody soil with Abraham and the covenant God cut with Abraham is cut with you also. And the blessings of Abraham are your inheritance. Also, physical healing and inner healing. Isaiah 53, 5 and many other places, by his stripes you were healed. Have you ever realized that God allowed Jesus his back to be plowed open more than we could probably realize. If you've seen the Passion of the Christ, you get the idea. But Jesus' back was plowed open. Blood came out of his back. And it was a blood covenant God made through Christ to release healing to his people. It's physical healing, but it's also inner healing because the Bible says that he's come to bind up and heal the brokenhearted. So everybody catch this. Healing is connected to the blood covenant. It's not just a random promise in Scripture. Let this sink in tonight. It's not just something God said, oh, you know what, I'll do that. Just ask me. It's, it's deeper than that. He says that he could have just promised it in Scripture. I'll heal people that cry out to me, and that would be the end of it, right? But God didn't do it like that. He said, I'm going to make sure, and I'm going to put it in the atonement. I'm going to put it in the covenant that I'll heal. Think about that. Deliverance was not just something God said, you know what? If you cry out to me, I'll deliver you. It's deeper than that. He says, I'm actually going to put it in the blood covenant that I'm faithful to. God says, I'm faithful to my end of the covenant, but the covenant is the forgiveness of your sins, your healing, and your deliverance from the devil. And it goes further than that. We see that at the covenant that was cut at Calvary, Jesus said, when I go, I'll send the promised Holy Spirit. So not just the Holy Spirit living inside of us at a born-again experience, is that's what happens. When you are born again, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And all these different terminologies apply to that. The circumcision of the heart, writing of the word of God on the tablets of your heart, the candle of the Lord is lit, the circumcision of the heart, all of those different terminologies imply the Holy Spirit is now indwelling you, okay? But Jesus said, I'm going to go to the Father and it's better that I go because when I go, I'll send the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say in Acts 1, 4 through 8 and Luke 24, 49, he says, I'm going to go away. But the promised Holy Spirit will come, and in, in a few days from now, you will be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Well, it's not just the Holy Spirit living inside of you as a child of God, but now there is an infilling and a baptism of the Holy Ghost where you're clothed with power from on high. That is a promise 
to all those that are called from afar off. Remember Peter said, this promise is for all that the Lord our God will call. So everybody that is a Christian and you've entered into a blood covenant with God, one of the promises available to you is he will baptize you in his Holy Spirit. And you need that. I could go on and on. I could do a whole sermon on why you need it. It's the entrance of the supernatural in your life. It is the clothing of power. You're going to need your prayer language in the days ahead. I promise you're going to need tongues. All right. And then also the promise of Hebrews 10, 19. Another promise. This was cut at Calvary. If you read the book of Hebrews, it says that Christ entered the most holy place, but he has given us by the blood access to the holy of holies. So let's really appreciate that for a moment. To somebody that grew up under the law of Moses, this was unbelievable. You'd have to go to the temple and you'd have to bring your offerings and watch the priests lay hands on them, cut them up, put them on the altar. And you stood out there in the outer court and you, and you worship and prayed kind of from afar. And you knew that the high priest once a year could go in there. But now, what the promise is, what? That we can enter the Holy of Holies, what? By the blood of the Lamb. And we go past the veil, which Hebrews says is Christ's flesh that was ripped, that was torn for us. We can go beyond into the Holy of Holies now. So we can enter the glory. That's one of the reasons why, for me, I have felt led to take the Lord's Supper toward the beginning of when we come together. Because as we reverence the bread of presence and the blood of the Lamb, and we're consecrating our lives, we have a promise that we can come through the blood into the Holy of Holies, okay? And then there's also another promise in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. You look it up for yourself because some have never known this. But prosperity and supernatural provision was paid for at the cross. And it says this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Read it for yourself. It said Christ became, though he was rich, he became poor so that you can become rich. So there is prosperity in the atonement. How many knows we need supernatural provision sometimes? How many have ever been in a need where you needed God's provision and his prosperity? Amen. And then also Colossians 2.15. Christ disarmed principalities and powers triumphing over at the cross. So victory over our enemies. So these are, these are promises that are directly connected to the blood covenant. I picked these scriptures to show you that this was a covenant that was cut at Calvary for your sins, for your deliverance, for your healing, for your prosperity, for you to have the Holy Spirit's baptism, and for you to have supernatural victory over your enemies. Okay? So this was something that was paid for. It was a covenant that was cut at Calvary. Now here's something also very interesting. This is one of the reasons why I want people to keep these notes. Because you can go over these over and over. You're going to memorize things and it's going to get down in your spirit. And once it really gets down in you, it's, it's something that you have heart faith. That there's a powerful faith in that. Let me show you something about this. So God's names reveal his covenant also. You remember me telling you Abraham walked the land, built the altars to the God of such and such. He was being, God was revealing to Abraham his nature, who he was in the form. And then 
something that would happen and then Abraham would refer to him the God of such and such. And that's where these names have come throughout the scriptures. God would do something and then he would be associated by name with that. And I, I think that's why Jesus said, when you come, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. I think that the Lord was saying here, you need to know the names of God and hallow his name because his name reveals his character, his nature. It's connected to his covenant. So he is that way to us as his people. And one of the earlier names in Genesis 22:14 was Jehovah Jireh. When Abram, Abraham was offering up his son Isaac on the altar, and the angel Lord caught his hand, and there was a ram in the thicket, Abraham said, the one who has provided the ram to the one who provides. And Jesus said about Abraham, he said, he saw my day. So Abraham, I believe, had revelation that day that one day down the road, they would, this was a picture and type. It's called the Akedah in the Hebrew culture. This was a picture and type of the father offering his son. Okay, and so Abraham saw Christ's name. But that's where the name Jehovah Jireh comes from, the one who provides. So think about this for a moment. God provided the ram in the thicket in the same way John the Baptist, all those years later, said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In other words, John, being a descendant of Aaron as the high priest, he pointed and said, this, this right here, he is the sacrificial lamb that God has provided. Jehovah Jireh has visited us with his lamb. Does this make sense? There's also other names, Jehovah Tzikanu, which means our righteousness, revealed through the prophet Jeremiah. Jehovah Makadesh, Leviticus 20, 7-8, the, the God who sanctifies us. Elohim Mishpat, this is the God of justice. How many knows that Luke 18, God will provide justice for his elect? So the persistent widow kept going before the evil judge saying, give me justice against my adversary. And kept persisting. And eventually the judge got wore out, even though he's an evil judge, and said, just give her what she wants so she'll leave me alone. And Jesus said, listen to that. How much more so will your Father in heaven give you justice against your adversary? So there is a justice, a God of justice, who will, the Bible says in Proverbs, restore sevenfold. When the enemy is stolen from you, there's a sevenfold restoration. There's a principle of restoration and justice. How many believe in that? And then Jehovah Zebaot, one of my favorite names of God, is used all through Scripture as the Lord of hosts. Zeba is a, a word for host, and it means like the God of angel armies. And then Jehovah Nisi, the God, our banner. This is a term for victory in battle. Jehovah Rogi, our shepherd, in Psalm 23. Jehovah Rapha, our healer. Jehovah Shalom, our peace. And Jehovah Shammah. I love this word Shammah here because it implies the God who will eternally dwell in Jerusalem. 
And so God has placed his name there, his presence there in Jerusalem. To this day, right now, there's a special presence of God that will abide in Jerusalem. It's eternal. He'll never forsake Jerusalem. He's there. His presence is there. And, of course, when Jesus comes, Jesus will fulfill this completely as he dwells there as well. But even after the thousand-year reign, the Father will dwell there in the new Jerusalem. So this is like an abiding of God, the dwelling. How many knows Jehovah Shammah, the God who dwells, his presence dwells, is our God who wants to tabernacle his presence among us? How many appreciate that name? See, I love that because I believe God wants his tabernacle presence in my home and in my life. So let me give you something else, redemption. What Jesus paid for on the cross. I'm just going to go through this quickly, but I want you to realize there's something to everything Jesus endured. Do you remember Adam and Eve were in a garden and they said, not your will, God, but ours be done. And they obeyed the devil. They rebelled. What did Jesus do in a garden? Not my will, but yours be done. And he obeyed and he sweated drops of blood. The sweating of blood Jesus did there, that blood he shed there was connected to the power of rebellion being broken. It began in the garden when he said, not my will, but your will be done. Did everybody see that? See, there's a process of bloodshed Jesus had to do. It finished at the cross after six hours of hanging there when he said it is finished, but it began there in the garden. Then Jesus had to endure a crown of thorns being beaten on the, into his brow, the sweat of his brow, his beard ripped out, his clothing ripped off, and there was nudity, but there was also Jesus died with nothing. So you understand, he died totally impoverished, owning nothing. Even his tunic, which would have been a tallit, a prayer shawl of that time that he wore, the guards took it. They didn't want to rip it up, so they cast lots for it. But listen, he had nothing. So this is what I want to show you here. When Adam sinned, Adam only knew prosperity. The earth yielded for him. The ground watered itself. All he did was cultivate the garden, and it was like a hobby. I mean, the guy lived in the Garden of Eden. But whenever he sinned, God told him from this point on, it's going to be by the sweat of your brow that the earth will yield. So in other words, now there's toil. And now there's poverty. Instead of the earth yielding fruitfulness, it's going to start yielding thorns and thistles. It's going to be difficult for you. So it's no accident that thorns and thistles were beat into Christ's brow by the sweat of his brow. Is everybody seeing this? The power of that curse is broken that now, by the grace and mercy of God because of a blood covenant, that our needs can be met. Jesus' beard was ripped out. Here's something interesting, and he died nude. When in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve walked around. They didn't have physical garments on, but the Bible says they were naked and didn't know it. And the word for naked is the word arom, A-R-O-M. But after they ate the fruit and they sinned, it says they were naked and they were shamed. And they try to cover themselves with fig leaves. What happened? The Hebrew word there, after they ate the fruit for naked, is arom, E-R-O-M. It's a different word. And it means completely nude. Arom, A-R-O-M, means partially nude. You know what happened? God made them in his image. And the Bible reveals God in multiple places. But 
In one place it says he wraps himself with light like a garment. Even though Adam and Eve were nude physically, they were not actually completely nude. The glory of God was on them, and there was like a shining, like a glowing. And they always felt God's nearness and the weight of his glory on them all the time. But whenever they sinned, for all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory. The glory left them because of their sin. And they looked down and there was no more of that glory. There was no more of the weight of that glory. That shining was gone. Now they were completely nude and they were embarrassed. And they ran and tried to get fig leaves together to cover themselves. So Jesus had his beard ripped out. And do you remember Moses' face would shine? Jesus' beard was ripped out in shame and spit upon so that now the glory of God can arise and shine upon us. How many can tell a difference with some people before they were a Christian and after if you look at their photo? The glory of the Lord arising and shining upon people. And also, Jesus died nude. Why? So that the glory can come back on us again as his people. And, obviously, as I already mentioned, he died impoverished so that we could be provided for. Then Jesus ends up going to the whipping post where he bled again. Blood came out of his back for healing. Then Jesus' hands were pierced. That's not an accident because Jesus could have died any way the Father chose for him to die. But Jesus died a Roman crucifixion, hanging on a tree and becoming a curse for us. But his hands were pierced. You know what Jesus was paying for there? These signs follow them that believe in my name. You'll cast out demons and what? Lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Jesus paid for us to have authority and power in our hands. Also, he took nails in his feet. Every place the soles of your feet tread, God will give you victory, give you dominion. There's something in the feet. There's an authority that we walk in. And I always think about when Jesus was on a boat going to the Gadarenes, and it's so obvious in Scripture. I mean, as soon as Jesus got off the boat and his feet touched the soil of the beach, these demon-possessed people in the garden, I mean, in the cemeteries just began to jump up and manifest demons and go crazy and everything else. What happened? I mean, all Jesus did was his feet touched the soil, and it's like hell just rose up. Well, authority in his feet. As soon as Jesus' feet touched the soil, heaven began to invade there, and hell was stirred up. So there's dominion in your feet. Also, as I've already mentioned, he hung on a tree, and blood dripped from his body on the ground. That blood that dripped to the ground was payment for your deliverance. And finally, after Jesus died, he died of a broken heart. How I many knows Jesus has come to bind up and heal the brokenhearted, he died of a broken heart. And it says that the spear was pierced into his side. And blood and water came out of his side. And so what happens at a birth when a woman goes into labor and gives birth to a child? The water breaks and then there's blood. And so you're always going to see blood and water at a birth. Jesus was paying for us to be children of God. Children of Abraham also. And... What happened when Adam was put to sleep and God took what? A rib out of his side for what? A bride. And so Jesus, having blood and water come out of his side, 
He was paying not only for inner healing, but for children and for a bride. And the last couple things I'm just going to read over here. The blessings given to Abraham, this is why I want you to go back and, and rehearse this in your mind and get it in your spirit. So Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26 breaks down a list of blessings and curses for obedience and disobedience. Derek Prince did a great job of breaking down there's nine curses for disobedience and seven blessings for obedience. So people that live in disobedience to the word of God there's different curses that begin manifesting in their life. And, and it's like various things, mental illness, uh, physical health problems, and financial lack, and all kinds, of, all kinds of problems. There's nine categories. But there's seven categories of blessings for those that are in obedience to God's word. And these are the blessings under the law of Moses. This is what the Bible's saying in Galatians 3.13. Christ died so you can be delivered from all those curses under the law. Humiliation, barrenness, infertility, family alienation, divorces, strife, and like I said, mental and physical breakdowns and all these different things that plague families. And he said you can be delivered from all this and you can leave that behind you and come into the blessings given to Abraham. So the seven categories that Derek Prince broke down was this. Number one, exaltation and promotion. That you will be the head, not the tail, top and not the bottom. Number two, healing and health. Number three, long life upon the earth. Number four, prosperity and abundance in life. Number five, favor. Favor with God and man. Number six, fruitfulness. In every area of life. And number seven, victory over enemies. Supernatural victory. So these are the seven categories of the blessings given to Abraham that the Bible makes it very clear. There's different scriptures that Derek Prince put all of them together. But I mean, you think about it, he says, I will not put the sicknesses or diseases of the Egyptians upon you. And he says, if you'll obey my word, I will bless your food and drink, remove sickness out of your midst. And, and he says... Um, you know, and it talks about generational blessings that will go down the bloodline. And he promises if the enemy comes at you in one direction, he'll be smitten before you and flee in seven. So there's all these promises. And every year when we get into Passover, and we have a Passover meal here, and I know, you know, with Easter, people are looking at the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, okay? But I like to also do here a Passover meal because it's an illustrated sermon of what the Lord's Last Supper actually was. And so in the Lord's Last Supper, which was a Passover Seder, there's four cups. And you guys that do this with me are very familiar with this. But this, this is what the four cups speak of. The first cup is sanctification. There's something so powerful about this phrase. If you'll begin to say this every day, if you're one of those like me that take communion every day, but begin to say these things out loud, you say, I thank you, Lord, that I am a son of blood covenant and that I am a son of Abraham and the oath and blessings given to Abraham are my inheritance. And you begin to speak these things out loud. I'm a son or daughter of Abraham, okay? 
and you begin to speak out loud things like this, according to the scriptures, I am justified, sanctified as holy, the righteousness of God in Christ. The enemy has no power over me. I am cleansed by the blood of Jesus. That's the first cup of Passover, sanctification. The second cup is deliverance. That you've been delivered from the, the works of the enemy. The third cup, the, which is what Jesus used to give us communion, is the cup of redemption and healing. And the fourth cup is a cup of praise as we look for Christ's coming. So I want to close with these two things. The word salvation in and of itself is so powerful. And again, this is one of those things that's missed. I, w I was just reading in, in Zechariah chapter 9, I believe verse 11. I was just reading in Zechariah. I'll probably maybe use this scripture in another sermon. But God was speaking to Israel and he was speaking through the prophet Zechariah. And he was saying, you know, I had to judge you because of your sins. I had to let you go into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And I brought you out. And, and your fathers ignored the prophets that were sent to them. They didn't repent. That's why this happened. <clears throat> but he goes on to say this. He says, but I will remember the blood covenant. And I will deliver you out of the waterless pit. And then he goes on to say, and I will restore double your prosperity you once had. He said that. So see, God remembers the blood covenant. And every day, Jesus said to take communion. He said, do this in remembrance of me till I come. And the apostle Paul talking about it said, what? Through this, you proclaim his death. What he's saying there is, is that every time you're taking communion, you, you, are, you are reminding God that you are a child of blood covenant and the covenantal promises which belong to you. And so the word salvation in the Hebrew is the word yasha. And Jesus' name is derived from that root. His name is Yeshua. And it means, Yasha means save. Jesus' name, Yeshua, means salvation. And the word save in the Bible has seven meanings in the Old and in the Greek New Testament. The Greek New Testament is the word sozo. You can look it up. And it's, it's literally the same equivalent to the word Yasha in Hebrew. And we translate that as save, and, it, and that's a good translation. But you have to understand... It means so much more than that. Just like tonight, hopefully you've taken away from this. When Jesus died on the cross, did, did he die for more than just your sins to be forgiven? Okay. So even his name, Yeshua, salvation, implies this in the word Yasha and the word in the Greek sozo. It translates to heal, deliver, protect, preserve, prosper, make to do well, and make whole. Did you catch all of that? So the word save implies healing, deliverance, protection, preservation, prosperity, made to do well, made whole. All of that is wrapped up in the name of Jesus in salvation. And so as we begin to meditate on these scriptures and get this in our spirit, we begin to understand that there's so much more to this covenant that was cut than just our sins forgiven. 
That's why I'm saying keep these notes and keep referring to this over and over and get this down in your spirit. Because Romans 10.10 says this, With the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now remember the word salvation. Please look this way and give me your best ear. Don't let anything distract you, okay? But the word salvation there, you believe in your heart, and you confess with your mouth unto salvation. That word there is soteria, and it means to deliver, to heal, and to save. Did everybody catch that? So when you believe in your heart what Christ paid for you, you get it from just your head down into your heart, and you believe in your heart, and you begin to speak with your mouth, you're speaking unto salvation. It's not just the forgiveness of sins. It is also has to do with your healing and your deliverance, your breakthrough, your provision. Everything Jesus paid for you to have on the cross is believed in the heart, and it's confessed out loud. That's why the Lord said, if you will believe this, and you won't doubt, but you'll keep speaking to the mountain, the mountain will move. That's what he's talking about. It's with heart faith and with a speaking it out that these things will come into being. And that's why it's so important that you know this information and you get this information down in your spirit. Um, also, Psalm 1 and 2, it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. His law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth fruit in its season. Its leaves will not wither, and whatever he does will prosper. So those that believe the word, live the word, are like a tree planted by the waters that are fruitful. But it goes on to say also in Psalm 119.11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So there is a hiding of the word of God in your heart. That you get it down in your spirit. And so my wife, I've had to study this out for years. I've studied out the God of Blood Covenant. I've looked into how you can shift things in your personal life and even how people that have had things in their families, I mean, generational iniquity and curses, you can actually break the power of that through the God of Blood Covenant and you can be cleared away from all that junk and you can move into the blessings given to Abraham and that can be what you pass to your descendants generational blessings but you're not going to be able to do it unless you understand the god of blood covenant he is faithful to his blood covenant okay and he will bless a thousand generations of them that love him so hopefully you took a lot away from this tonight but i want us to really focus in on this revelation over the next several months i'm going to be taking my time looking at this subject the god of blood covenant but everything's going to go back to this sermon. So keep these notes. Go back over these notes. These are things that whenever I take communion in my personal prayer time, I go over a lot of this stuff in my mind. I go over this and speak it out loud. And I, and I began to understand that this is my blood covenant meal. And I bring, you know, I'm bringing my family under the blood fresh. And we're declaring the promises of God. And it's, it's so powerful when you understand the God of blood covenant, okay? All right, so Lord, we thank you tonight for the power of your word. Lord, we thank you for what you're wanting to get through this series tonight in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, 
for this getting in people, that this is going to go forth and accomplish what you sent it for to do. I thank you, Lord, for producing great faith in people. In Jesus' name, that will bring breakthroughs and change. Lord, we thank you for it in the mighty name of Jesus. So keep these notes. Go over them and over them and over them until it gets in your spirit. There's times that as we take communion, sometimes in a special way here in River of Life, We'll get an extra piece of bread and a little more juice, and we'll go through some of these things. We're not just taking it just for the, you know, like we're for, our sins are forgiven, but we're believing God for like a deep purging and deliverance and breakthroughs and everything paid for. How many knows that's powerful, isn't it? When we remember what Jesus has done for us fully. So I want to go through and pray with people that need a breakthrough tonight or just want prayer refreshing. So if you could just put on something tonight. And we need to probably move these chairs. But if you want prayer tonight, let's receive.